<laughs> it's not that close to Halloween yet. <laughs> no, I was being a funeral director. <laughs> I thought you were being a ghoul. You can't see my you can't see my creepy hands. No, I'm I'm stereotyping. I'm stereotyping funeral directors right now. Welcome. This is an exciting episode because you've invited a funeral director to to join us. I have. Uh, and I'm very excited to have the conversation. Funeral director and a dad of four. But before we uh, introduce him, would you like to tell the listeners what this podcast is about? I'll do my best. Um, <clears throat> this is only my 91st episode, so I don't know if I'll get this right. Hey, friends. <laughs> you, so full of shit, you are listening. No, I'm not. I love the listeners dearly. Uh, they, you, listeners, by the way, are listening to Modern Dadhood, which is an ongoing conversation about the joys, challenges, general insanity of being a dad in this moment. Look at that. I got all the bullets down in the intro. My name is Mark Checkett, uh, and uh, I am a dad. I have got uh, two boys. They are the same age because they are twins. And you, my friend? Uh, did you say their age? You said the same age, but what are their, their, what's their, what's their age? They're five and a half. A kindergarten I'm age. Five, five, I'm five and a half. <laughs> I'm five and a half, dad. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> Quiet, boys. Uh, my name is Adam Flaherty, and I'm a dad as well. Uh, my daughters uh, are nine and a half and set up. Uh, Get it right. Get it right. Nine and a half and six and a half. We would love to welcome any new listeners to Modern Dadhood and, and say what's up to our existing listeners who've been with us for 91 episodes. It's so nice to have you here. Hey, Paul. A quick room. <laughs> Paul Ramsey? <laughs> Just who? Paul who? Any of our Pauls. <laughs> Mark and I are not experts in fatherhood. We are tell. we're two dads who like to talk about fatherhood and engage with other interesting dads who have cool stories to tell. And we like to learn from their experiences. You can find all of our episodes at moderndadhood.com. You can search by the topic or by the guest. Uh, you can also find us anywhere podcasts can be found. And please, uh, if you do look us up on, you know, say Apple podcasts or Amazon Music, please subscribe, leave us a review. These things go a long way for us, and it would make us very happy. All facts. Now, Mark, now. Now what? Let them know about the guest that you've invited. I think everybody's going to be pretty stoked, and some of our listeners actually might know this person already. If you spend even as half as much time on YouTube as I do, uh, you may have come across this gentleman. His name is Victor Sweeney. Uh, you may have seen him on... You ever watch the YouTube channel Wired, Adam? Do you ever mm -hmm, watch that? Mm -hmm. They've got a they've got a lot of great content, but they've got one uh, series in particular that they call Tech Support, and they get people from all walks of life who are experts in something, whatever it is, you name it. They've got it. They've found that person, and they 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 bring them into their studio, and they just have them answer uh, questions from the internet about whatever that thing is. There's a fascinating one with a beekeeper 
Um, mm. She did a really good one. Uh, there's been, you know, OR doctors and, you know, guitar virtuosos and just people from like all corners of the earth. And Victor has been on the on the show, I think, on three separate occasions. Several times. Yeah. Talking about burial, talking about, um, I think, just death in general and sort of probably working a little bit to dispel some myths. I would like I, I would. I would assume there's probably some myths out there about um, death and burial. And this is one of these corners of life that I don't know that people often love sitting around thinking about. He uh, he answers questions about embalming bodies, oh, yeah. about cremation. Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, he gets some pretty silly ones, as you can imagine, but he gets some really good, thoughtful questions, too. And what I like about him is that he he has a sense of humor uh, about it. Yes. Well, let's not give away too many secrets. We will welcome Victor M. Sweeney into the conversation soon. Have you, sir, talked with your kids about death yet? Yeah, definitely. Definitely? Yeah. (laughs) Definitely? Yeah, I definitely have. Yes. In what capacity? Like, did they come to you and say, what does it mean when someone dies? Or was it because of an event or, you know, or, or was it, you just felt like the topic should come up? Like walk me through how it it happened. I think probably it stemmed from when my mom passed away a couple of years ago. And then, I mean, we had a, a, one of our two hamsters died and that, you know, uh, obviously much different uh, magnitude, but that kind of kept the concept of death in their mind a little bit. I guess they've, they, every once in a while out of the blue, bring up the idea of death. You know, they don't want us to die. And of course we always say, that's the reason that we try to be healthy, keep our bodies healthy mm-hmm. so that we can live good long lives. And it's not something that you need to be concerned about, but yeah, it's, it's spawned some interesting conversations about the afterlife and mm. spirituality and religion. And my girls are at a pretty good age where they can engage with that a little bit more, ask some pretty interesting, deep questions. And, um, but essentially what we tell them is, you know, that, different people believe different things and what we what's important in our family is are we are we we take the the values the good things the good messages out of the stories for example that are told in church and apply them to our lives and then that sort of you know that all connects to sort of the idea of heaven and afterlife it's a big heavy topic yeah it really is how do you talk to you? Have you talked to the boys about it? Um, you know, only a little bit here and there. I mean, they've definitely asked, are you going to die? And uh, are you like, oh, yeah, I'm like probably I drink, I drink a lot of coffee and <laughs> don't get good sleep. <laughs> um, I mean, there's only one answer to are you going to die? It's it's yes. Right. Well, and that's, you Ho- know, hopefully not. soon. Yeah, yeah. It's it's like, hey, you know, yeah. Because we all will, but not for a long time. I don't know how, how often five and a half year olds should be, you know, thinking about death. But it, it seems to me that like my kids do kind of, you know, the, the topic of it does come up kind of frequently. I'm not sure really where that's coming from or why. And it's never, you know, I don't think it's ever, though, 
like a fearful thing. It's just a, a curiosity thing. Somewhere really early on, particularly in one of my kids, like vocabulary or whatever, um, he got to 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 saying this. Uh, he'll say, "I'll love you until I die." Mm-hmm. And it's oddly become this thing where you know he'll he'll yell that out if somebody's if I'm leaving for work, you know, if I'm driving into the office, I love you, Daddy. I love you till I'm dead. He'll just yell it. Okay. That's, uh, that's really cute. Yeah. I guess I, I sort of wonder, is there a generally accepted right way to explain the concept of death to your kids? What's the best way to sort of package that for young people in a way that they'll understand? It, it's something that I'm interested in asking Victor about. Something, you know, something about Victor that's that's interesting to me is that this is a thing that happens to him or that he's involved with in some way, shape or form just all the time on a regular basis. But people like me and you, we experience it. It's not something that we live with or deal with like constantly. So do you really build up the tools in your toolkit to deal with it in a way? I know with my dad's death and and I, I look back at it and it's. It now plays like a movie montage in my mind, right? Like it's, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's, it's not at all. There are so many details that are gone or kind of like, I'm not really sure of the timeline between this detail and then in that detail, it happened over the course of several weeks where his health really declined rapidly. And then there was a hospice situation and then he was gone. And so in my mind, it replays back very much just like that montage in a movie where you lose somebody i mean the truth is no matter how you explain it they're going to process it in their own way but that's why it's such a mystery and that's why honestly it's it it's very fascinating to me and i'm so glad that you found victor sweeney and that he agreed to join us on the podcast today well what do you say Let's let the guy in. He's been sitting in the lobby this whole time. We've been yammering. Victor M. Sweeney is a dad to four kids, uh, a mortician and funeral director, and you might know him from his appearances on the Wired YouTube series, tech support. Victor, thanks so much for joining Modern Dadhood. Thank you so much for inviting me. Happy to be here. Four kids. Yeah, I was going to say, but usually before we get into like the meat, the the nugget of the conversation here, we always like to sort of find a little bit out about our guests' family. Yeah. And four kids, that's that's a lot. Is that's it a, a lot? Yes, I say I grew up. I grew up. Maybe it's like a smaller rural. Is kind of rural up there in oh, North Dakota. Uh, all of North Dakota is pretty. It's rural. just and all then, rural. And and, just, and where I am, where I am, I'm in Minnesota now, just over the border, but hmm. uh, extremely rural where I am. It does feel kind of like a rural. I'm, I grew up with a family of. I'm I'm one of four. There you go. Um, and I grew up in a pretty rural part of Pennsylvania. You know, I, I'm one of four, too, and it didn't even cross my mind like it, to say that that's a lot of kids, even though I'm one of four. Yeah. It's, uh, it's it's not, I think it's more just because our my peer group is usually like one to two kids. Yeah, it's it's healthy. I mean, I don't know. Maybe, yeah. maybe it speaks of like the lack of anything else to do other than have more kids. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I like to think it's it's pretty wholesome. 
I feel like the chaos between having two kids and having four is not substantially different. Interesting. Um, so it's just, yeah. just, uh, you know, just a matter of scale, really. The chaos kind of narrows maybe the more kids you have. It's just, yeah. it's just chaos after a certain yeah, point. Yeah, 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 exactly. It's it's nothing but chaos all the way down. So like, what's, yeah. what's one more kid? You know, if we, if we happen to have another kid and had five, I, I think five is probably where you, you cross the threshold of people maybe. like looking at you. <laughs> but, but if we, if we cross the threshold and had a fifth, uh, I don't think it would be substantially different. I think yeah. it would just be just a little extra chaos on top of the uh, uh, big chaos pie. What are their ages, Victor? My oldest is nine. And then I have uh, another boy who's seven, a daughter who's four, and another boy who is a year and a half. My daughters are the same age as your two oldest. Nice. Not nine and six, nine and six and a half. So Yeah, it's fun. What we're finding is having the younger ones and then having the older ones, it's awfully nice to have like someone not that you can rely on nine-year-old boys for much uh but you can rely on them sometimes for some things so that's pretty cool so i i think sort of the obvious question um that listeners might be thinking is you know how did somebody who is you know in his early 30s get into this line of work what what led you into being a funeral director or do you prefer mortician I, you know, it's, it's interchangeable. The, the licensure is interchangeable. I, I think funeral director is maybe a little more, uh, uh, palatable than mortician, but mortician <laughs> does get you the clicks. So, you, go. you know, you've got to, you've got to balance that. Um, no, uh, the truth of the matter is, I mean, I, I started working at a funeral home. I don't know the timeline exactly. I was either 17 or 18. The, the backstory is this. I'd always wanted to be a Catholic priest. That's what I always wanted to be from the time I was a little boy. And when I, discerned out of that in high school, the next question was like, okay, now what? Mm -hmm. uh, because uh, like, I don't really like math. I don't like science. Like there, there are a lot of like things that could get you jobs that I'm just not that interested in. Yeah. And uh, so then as I introspected, I realized I'm only really good at talking to people. Mm. And so how do you, how do you turn that into a job that is uh, outward, you know, service-based, uh, but then also can make you enough money to uh, uh, feed your family? Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, just stumbled into funeral service, essentially. I read a book by a, a funeral director poet named Thomas Lynch, which Ooh. I'd highly recommend to anybody. Uh, just generally, it's a great book. But read that book and was like, you know, I could try that. And so I went to the local funeral home and got a job just like dusting caskets and wandering around, like doing nothing. And then, yeah, just slowly found my way into it. And now here I am, you know, 10 years into licensure and uh, just doing the thing. Was there a point at, at which any time in your life sort of leading up to that point where you had either like an, a fascination or an interest or anything or even a, any kind of experience like be, being around that kind yes. of thing? Uh, well, that's the thing. I was around a lot of death growing up. Hmm. Um, so probably in the 10 years from the time I was like 10 and 20 I had 10 deaths of like aunts, uncles, grandparents. Wow. So mm -hmm. I had a lot of that. People that have seen my wired stuff, I talk about it a little bit. But I found my best friend dead in his bed wow. when I was four, possibly three. Actually just reconnected with his mother for the first time in 30 years Holy cow. Uh, earlier this year. So that was really special. And then like my, my parents had a daughter that was born before me that died. So we were at the cemetery and we would do, you know, we'd clean her grave and take care of it. Actually... Even now, if my brothers and I go back to Michigan, where she's buried, we always go and clean it up because mm. that's what we did as kids. 
Um, so no, I was around a lot of death growing up and, um, I think like Catholicism is a lovely mixed bag of like death and life and all that stuff. So it's not, you know, like you, you read about the stories of like martyrs as a kid and you're like, Oh yeah, death. It's, 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 it's a common thing. It's not, it's not unheard of. So yeah, I, I mean, maybe, maybe I have a special aptitude for it. So nine years ago, you, you and your wife started having kids yeah. and, as your kids sort of graduated to ages where they, you know, became conversational enough, you know, to really understand what yeah. you do for work, it, did it raise questions for them or was it just it, just normal for oh, them yes. because they knew nothing? So what kind of conversations did it inspire with your kids? Well, so when, when you do what I do, um, you know how you guys, I don't know what you do for a living. But you go home and you talk about work around the kitchen table, yeah. right? And I do that too. Uh, but it's always, oh yes, so-and-so died, or I embalmed a body last night before you woke up, or um, where's dad? He's at a funeral right now or at a, a visitation right now. He won't be back until bedtime. Uh, so it's very common. You know, it's, we, we talk about funerals all the time. We talk about dead bodies all the time. There are always questions. Um, like I, I bring my kids into work with me pretty often. Hmm. If I have stuff I have to do at the office, I'll just drag the kids along and we'll play with cars or... Uh, use granite samples for headstones as building blocks or, uh, uh, sometimes a Lego set, you know, something like that. And I'll, I'll be working, but often enough I'll set the kids up in my office and then I'll go into our funeral chapel and like do somebody's makeup or something. Mm -hmm. And so the kids pop their heads in and they ask, you know, what's up with that guy? Children. (laughs) He's, he's dead. He's not getting up. He's not going to hurt you. He had a family just like us. And now this is just his body. And it's my job to just make his body look nice so his family can see him again. And sometimes, like, my, my middle son would come and we'd pull up a chair and he'd just stand there and watch me work. Whereas my daughter will just stay in the office and, you know, won't, will yell at me through the door. <laughs> so it's, um, I think each kid kind of gets what they need out of it. If they have questions, I just answer them, you know, whatever the truth is. I do appreciate in having watched all of the wired videos. And I I think this is what makes you such an appealing person for that kind of format is that you have a sense of humor, you know, and it's an industry, the business that requires, I mean, you're dealing with huge emotions, you know, and it requires a, a, a real level of dignity. But I think in any line of work, if you can bring to it a sense of humor, an appropriate level of humor. Right. It's going to make everybody's experience better and more comfortable. And I just want to, I just want to say, it's not a question. No. I just want to say that, well, I, that I, I um, like that a lot. And, and thank you. And it's, it's kind of threading the needle in some ways, right? Because I mean, there are, there are other uh, uh, morticians that are more media savvy than I am surely, mm. but, but there is that balance of trying to strike between being yourself and being genuine. And that includes mm. humor, um, but also, carrying yourself with some dignity, Hmm. right? You you have to do both. And actually when we talk about kids, like that's really one of the tricks too, because if you're, you know, if you are all just doom and gloom and guess what, son, you're going to die someday. (laughs) uh, Nobody's taking anything uh, good away from that. Um, So yeah, it's, it's the balance. Everything is the balance. The, 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 right. The, the via media, right. Virtue is found in the middle. And so if, if you can, if you can do that, if you can be both warm, but also removed from your job enough to actually do it, 
if you can be humorous but dignified, if you can be honest but light, right? The, the, those are those are those balances that you have to strike. I mean, and there's also the balance between the person who is running the funeral and the person who has to do the less glamorous part of actually embalming a body, yeah. right? It's you're you're providing emotional support for families and doing what I can imagine have to imagine it can be some pretty grueling like physical work that's where you have to strip the emotion out of it and treat it like it, it was a person and there's dignity, but also you have this job to do to take this now object right and right. reconnect it to right. the emotion it's just so well, complex and interesting and so I, I i have a story for you actually just about this um we had a gentleman pass away and he he fell to his death and ended up with a pretty major head injury so he'd been in the hospital some time and the families when they came in to sit down um they they met with the other funeral director that works here i was in the back working on this gentleman, my, my friend, really, mm. um, we knew each other. Mm. And uh, I'd gotten a good part of work done and then kind of came out and talked with, with his family. And they're like, well, we're going to have the casket closed. I was like, you know, that sounds fine. Yeah. But just keep the door open because I, I, think, I think we can do this. I, I'm pretty sure we can make dad look like himself, but just keep the door open. Like, you can say it's closed. Great. Yeah. What if we just had a time for you and your family to come see him? And then we can close the casket and then everybody else can come. They said that was fine. So I worked on dad for quite some time, uh, got a lot of the, the missing parts of the skull back together and did a lot of suturing and sewing to get all the lacerations closed back up. When they'd last seen him in the hospital, obviously he looked really, really, really rough. Yeah. And so then we, we, we fast forward to the, the evening of, of the visitation I'm getting flowers and stuff set up. I'm just kind of doing my work. And the family's like, hey, Victor, just come up, come on and open it up. I think we're ready to see him. Fine. So I had them turn around. I open up the casket, get everything ready. And I kind of step back and I hear, you know, he actually doesn't look too bad. I'm, hmm. I'm kind of surprised. He, he looks not perfect, but more like himself. So they kind of spend some time with dad. And then one of them goes, well, I don't think the grandkids should see him. And then I kind of step back in. I'm like, you know, you guys, I can't tell you what to do, but you, can I just tell you my opinion? I said, the thing is, your, your kids, their imaginations for the last week have been a hundred times worse than what dad looks like right now. Yeah, wow. Like their, their imagination is your dad falling and everything just going utterly wrong. Yeah. I can't tell you what to do, but I, I would at least consider it. Hmm. And so after some more discussion, they decide, you know, I think the grandkids should see him. And in fact, I think the whole town who's going to be coming to this funeral um, should see dad at least for a little bit. So we ended up having, we went from close the casket closed. To, yeah. to, to let's have it open for a while just so people can say goodbye. Yeah. And, and, that, and that's a win. It, was it perfect? Yeah. No. But I, I, I really appreciate it when a family and especially the children can come away with something that was better than their imagination. Yeah. And again, we, we talk about the balance, right? We, we have to understand how to talk about that, but we also don't want to be so callous or, or so, um, so unimaginative that our children don't understand us. Right. Like when we say something like, Oh, it's just a shell. Like, well, hold on. That looks an awful lot like my grandpa. Yeah. Right. Kind of problematic to say grandpa is now just a shell. Right. 
Right. <laughs> the trick, I think, is just always telling the truth and, and getting getting kids involved. One thing that's nice about being a young parent is I, I think we can smell each other. Do you ever have that experience? Like you, you can just tell yeah. someone's a, a parent. Yeah. I prefer and, to uh, think of it more as like a twinkle in the eye than an odor, but, but sure. <laughs> yes. I know we know what you're going for. That's funny. <laughs> so I mean, but, but you see it in, in, in other parents. So, yeah. so a lot of times when I have like, let's say we have something like an open casket or, or even here, let's take something less concrete. Let's say uh, grandma has been cremated and we have her urn up front. Kids do not understand that well. And so I, I just always offer that. Like if I see a little kid, I make a beeline and it's either I ask the, the kid or I ask the parent, ask me a question yeah. because I, I just soon answer a question than have someone walk away from my building, not knowing what the heck they just witnessed. Right. I think that philosophy is, is it's so much like how Mark and I always talk about parenting. You know, why are we going to sugarcoat something, you know, when we can be authentic with them and we can find a, a way to say thing uh, to explain something that is truthful, but also doesn't have to be blunt. You know, it doesn't have to be right. graphic. Being open and honest with your kids and, and allowing them to the space to ask those questions is a powerful thing. I was I was just going to say that bit, Adam. Right, like being open and honest, but then also just allow that room. You know, do you have any questions? And also probably being. I mean, this is my experience being 100% okay with my answer to a question being, I have no idea. Let's, let's, That's it. let's go yes. and try to find that answer together. You know, before you joined Victor, Mark and I were talking about, you know, have Mark asked me, have my kids asked my wife, Sarah and I about death? How do you answer that question when you're asked? So I, I like answering it in kind of the, the platonic fashion. Thomas Aquinas, he has rules for disputation, right? If, if you ever met with an argument, there are three things you must do. Uh, never deny, seldom affirm, and always distinguish. And so the way I like to explain it is this. And, and I, I explain it to, this way to Catholics. I explain it this way to uh, like atheist families. I explain it this way to like just anyone because, because I, I think we could almost all agree with it. And it's this. So there are things in this life that we, we cannot touch. We, we know they exist but we cannot touch them. So things like love, things like justice, things like truth, mm. right? You ask a little kid about fairness, they recognize fairness. Nobody has to teach a kid what's fair, right? So th these things exist. We don't know exactly how, but they exist out there. They're outside of us. When we live, there are things that we can touch, right? Like a chair, right? You can touch it with your hand. It's a, it's a, it's a thing. You can hold it. It's tangible. But there's a part inside of us that can touch those intangible things. And so I would say that that part inside of us that recognizes these things we cannot touch is the thing inside of us that we cannot touch. And I would call that the soul. Hmm. And so at the end of our lives, the physical part of us, we see it die. But the part of him that is intangible, that part we cannot touch, it has to go somewhere. And being that, that things like love and truth and justice are outside are outside of us, outside of our, our earthly experience, then I think it makes sense too, that our soul then follows those things. Mm. Put, puts it on an equal playing field for everybody right. and allows yes. you to take what you want from that. So if I, I, 
I believe that there are times when I can feel the presence of my mother, you know, that that if I'm with my family and my girls, that her presence, her spirit is there with us. And yes, I don't know. I don't know if that if her energy is there or not, but I do like that it inspires that feeling in me and that I can share that with my daughters. I think that's a comforting thing. And so I think your explanation does a really nice job of making the idea accessible to anybody. Yeah. It's fun to have these discussions with children, especially because uh, most kids are going to be more open to the idea that a dragon is real than you or me. And a child is going to be more open to the idea that like, oh, yes, I know there's a thing like love and my grandma loved me. And I can if I can experience love without touching it, I can experience my dead grandma Mm -hmm. without without her being here. Mm -hmm. I think children need to be involved. I, I I had a funeral last year. One of my favorites, actually, and it was a great grandma. I think we had 16, fewer than 20. I think we had 16 great-grandchildren. Wow, yeah. And kind of the same thing, like a precocious, you know, weird little bunch, and they had a ton of questions. Mm-hmm. And uh, so then right before the funeral, we're going to close the casket, and I kind of stopped, and I turned around, and I was like, would you kids want to help me? And they're like, yeah. So I like I stepped out of the way, and I all these little hands are reaching in, uh, you know, rolling up the interior of the casket around grandma. And then I like pulled the lock and all the grand, like great grandkids, you know, helped me close it. And I was like, all right, can we say goodbye to grandma? And they're like, goodbye, grandma. And they're like, you know, patting the thing. It was like, it was the cutest, yeah. loveliest thing. Yeah. Um, and, and then that's just another one of those that, you know, I, I think the, the work of burying our dead, as much of it as I do, it's nice when you give other people like a, a, a safe and comfortable opportunity to do that work too. Absolutely. And then when you hand it off to children to do it. Yeah. I mean, that's, again, that's, that's a, a generational gift that you're giving. And kids just want to be involved, you know, don't they just kind of want to do everything that you're doing yes. and experience the things that you're experiencing and always kind of tag along and allowing yeah. that at every turn. It is such a gift. I never formulated a question, a true question about this, but it it's another one of those things where there's this this balance of empathy, compassion, relationships, and then this other piece where this is a business, a business. and you're thinking about you're thinking about profitability. I mean, a, a business is a business, well, you know, and that doesn't mean it's it's bad, mm-hmm. but like you need to have enough. It, you're in an industry that will, there will always be supply, right? But which, which is good for yes. job security, oh, but like, oh, it's still absolutely. a business. Supply and, and it's kind of monopolistic too, right? Mm. Like I'm, I'm the only one, I'm the only funeral home within 30 miles. Mm. So I'm it, mm-hmm. right? I, I could charge whatever I want. Right. And yeah. people would probably just suck it up and pay it. Yeah. Right. So, so there is a, a certain amount, especially in an area where, where I am, where you don't have competition, really, there is a certain amount of, of, trust that you have to build with families so they don't look at you when they see your bottom line and go, Whoa, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you don't want that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like, I, I don't put any pressure on families to buy any particular casket because it, they're buying me. They're not, I'm not a casket salesman, right? Mm-hmm. I'm a funeral yeah. director. Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, that's like the, you were just kind of saying, it's like, it's some of what you do is very hard to teach other people to do, which means, you know, to a certain degree, folks like you, it just, it just has to be this innate thing that happens to be right. It, it, which makes it even more of a, a sort of potentially sought after and potentially valuable, but also just a needed thing. 
in that moment. Like to your point, like a casket, you could go wherever and buy a casket in the yeah. guy next you door can, is going to sell you, can you the order same one from stuff. Costco and get it delivered to your house. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I think you can actually buy the kiss themed casket from Costco. I don't know if you've ever I'm seen sure. that, but why isn't everyone doing that? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but yeah, I, I, it's really interesting, a really interesting thing. And, uh, it's such a vital role at that time. Yeah. And, and, and doesn't it seem kind of sleazy if a substantial portion of my income is made on a box that I sell and I make more on the nicer box? Like, I I don't, I don't think that engenders trust. Yeah. My last question for you is, you know, obviously uh, a lot of times it seems that funeral homes are family businesses and I wonder if your kids have expressed interest Mm. in your line of work. And if you think potentially someday you could make it your family business. Maybe. I don't know. My, when I was coming up through the ranks, every funeral director I met said, hi, how you doing? So glad you're looking into this. Don't do it. Hours Mm. are bad. Pay is subpar. You're going to see a lot of gross stuff. It's very inconvenient. Your wife isn't going to like it. You should probably just not go any further. And I I think, I think they're right. I think every, (laughs) I I think every point is completely accurate. But even then, I, I think it's important to like understand that, that the job, I think at least if you're thinking about it right, is calling, right? It's something that you, you have the nuts and bolts into you yeah. and it's just a matter of assembling them in the proper way to get where I am now. Well, that's what I was going to say. I think I probably, at some point I imagine you recognize that within you was something and an ability, you know, or the, you right. recognized the, your, your ability to balance some of these things that we talk about. I want, I wonder if as your kids are growing up, I wonder if, if you recognize that in one of your kids too. with that. Yeah. And I, and I don't know. I mean, I think, you know, the way I think about my work, maybe it's too philosophical. I don't know. I, I butt heads sometimes with other folks about it, but if maybe I talk about it enough and think about it enough, maybe the kids will either see it or they won't. Hmm. Right. And I'm, and I'm okay with that. Uh, because it really is, it's a, it's a lifestyle. You know, you have to learn to be okay right. with being, called away in the middle of a meal or missing, you know, I missed uh, Easter dinner last year. Oh boy. Um, or just, you know, whatever it is, just your, your life kind of revolves around other people's troubles, which is hard and good and bad. And, you know, yeah. it's the whole mixed bag of life, isn't it? Yeah. There are days where I don't want to do it. Yeah. Certainly the hard days, like when you bury a child, I don't want to work that day, but you can't not do it. Hmm. I probably would actively dissuade my kids and just see if they're like, dumb and stubborn enough just like me to do it (laughs) (laughs) that's great that's fantastic yeah pay it forward you know it's your calling yeah wow dad's listening and moms we will put links to uh victor's wired series on youtube in the show notes thank you so much for uh sharing your your wisdom with us it's been such a pleasure talking to you and you know we wish the best to to your whole family and um and hope to stay in touch with you i would like that i would like that i I hope to talk to you again thank thank you for having me on you guys thanks victor So here's the thing. I've been thinking about this conversation a lot. I also love film. That's I love movies. Okay. So here's what I, here's what I did. 
I gathered a list of films and maybe, maybe more accurately scenes within films that Mm. have death scenes. Now these are films that I would, I would categorize as kids or younger themed, you know, films that are appropriate for younger audience members. Okay. And I started thinking about them in the context of this episode. And I wondered how helpful or perhaps on the other end of the spectrum, how hurtful some of these scenes are as it relates to talking about and dealing with and processing the topic of death with our kids. So I came up with a scale. Would you like to hear the scale? Sure. Here's what it is. Uh, From one to five, one being an enlightening experience and five being totally traumatizing. And I've got all points in between here. And what I thought was, I'll just, I'll say the movie, I'll say the scene. You and I can talk a little bit about uh, where that particular scene falls in, in the scale. I, l- I love the, the game, but what if I don't know the scene? We'll, we'll talk about it. All right. I'm going to start. This is, here's the thing. Listeners are already thinking about this scene. So we're going to start with it. Thomas J, my girl. Oh, shit. Was that it? That was the first one. That's actually my second one. Okay. Okay. The, the, okay. The, 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 we're going to get there. The yep. first one, Mufasa's death in the Lion King. Long live the king. Where do you rate that on the scale? So, I mean, there's a lot of factors here because it depends on the age, but I'm assuming that the kid who's watching it is, you know, between four and seven, somewhere in there, if if they're watching a Disney cartoon. I mean, he tumbles off that cliff and is Mm -hmm. essentially trampled to death like that for a kid that age. That's probably pretty traumatizing. I would say I would probably go four, only because it's it's still a cartoon. Yeah, yeah. Where do you where do you fall? I'm I'm landing four or five. You know, because let's not forget one very key detail. He was murdered. That was a murder. Yeah, and it was and it was a family member. Right. That yeah. So his brother that murdered him. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And then he tried to pin it. By the way, on Simba, uh, on his nephew, he tried to pin it on the son. Right. So there's some psychological shit happening. Here. Layers. Yeah. That, that is okay. not a conversation that's easy to That could bump it up from a four to a five. Okay. All right. So All right. We're, talking, we're talking fun. We're talking maybe totally traumatizing on that one. Um, let's, since, you, since you came out, out with it right, right, at the, right at the top, let's talk about Thomas J's death in My Girl. So Thomas J being Macaulay Conkin. I'm going to assume me. that the audience is a little bit older for this one. I'll give you that. Because the subject matter of the film is, is slightly more mature. So I'm going to guess that this is kids who are 6 to 12. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe a little bit wider of a range. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is... So there's a couple things with this one. Because the actual way that he dies is not traumatizing, traumatizing at all. A little weird. Trump, maybe a little, it's a little weird, but but also like, it's almost a little bit funny because (laughs) he's getting stung by these bees and he's not even running away. He's, he's going, he's just kind of slapping. No, no, don't do that. Uh No, stop it. So it's not funny. It's not funny. 
but it's no. not a traumatizing death. What's no. what was Trump? Tra- what could potentially be traumatizing? Say it. Is Say seeing line. him in the open cat. Oh, Thomas Jake. He can't see without his glasses. Hold on. <laughs> Hold on. His face hurts. And where is his glasses? He can't see without his glasses. That's it. No, that's it. It's just so, to me, it's still so heart-wrenching. It is heart-wrenching. The best friend leaning over the casket. And she's saying, you idiots. This is not what Thomas J looks like. That's what she's saying. This is not the Thomas J that I know. You screwed it up. So she's grappling with the reality of the fact that he's not coming back. And she's saying, somebody screwed up. If Thomas J wears glasses, why isn't he wearing glasses and giving Veda Saltenfuss the (laughs) final, (laughs) you didn't think I remembered her name, did you? Oh, I remembered it too. (laughs) Why isn't, why isn't that mortician, which by the way, I think is her father. (laughs) Is her dad who knew Thomas J very well. known better. Why isn't, why aren't we giving her, you know, the, the proper... It's just it's just heart wrenching on so many levels. I I would say this though, if I'm gonna rate it, I would actually put it towards a one because it feels like it feels like the actual while it's traumatizing, it kind of feels true to reality in so many ways. Sure. But for a kid who's never experienced a funeral, there's still that kind of creepiness factor of seeing somebody laying in a casket yeah. i i would i would still go to I, w- I would probably put it at a two if not a three but because okay. you're gonna go to the very low end mm-hmm. i'll i'll skew down to a two all right your kid's gonna bat an eye but it is a good introduction to the concept of death sure okay now trigger warning to some listeners are texas death in the never-ending story i don't remember it what I think the never ending story in itself, just the giant dog was traumatizing to me. So traumatizing enough that I've never desired to return to it. First of all, it's the luck dragon, the swamp of sadness. Okay. So Artex dies in the swamp of sadness. Artex is a Treyu's horse. Okay. And he, they're going through this barren landscape, the swamp of sadness. And anyone who, who is overcome with the feeling of depression while in this, the swamp can't make it out. Hmm. And for some reason in the film, now it's a fantasy. So at the end of the movie, we see Atreyu riding Artex again through the fields, all is well. But in the midst of that movie, the, a, a, a thing that is so complex to understand, right? The idea of, for children, it, for anybody, really, the idea of like a feeling of sadness so deep and so he- heavy that you, you, you can't do anything about it. Uh-huh. It consumes you. That's what kills this horse in the middle of the movie. And Atreyu is yanking as hard as he can, pleading with the horse. Come on, you know, make, you know, please but but then but then he gets mad at the horse definitely traumatizing Mm. definitely traumatizing i think i'm going to put it towards a four or a five because of just 
how gut-wrenching it is. Well, I, I'm not sold on going back to rewatch it anytime you soon. Watch, you should rewatch it. All right, well, let's, 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 the next let's, one. let's do another one real quick here. Let's, let's not, let's just go. <laughs> Give me one to five. Littlefoot's mom's death in the land before time. Mother? Mother? Now, I did watch The Land Before Time quite a lot when I was a kid, but I have to say, Mm -hmm. I don't recall the specific scene. Can you refresh me on the scene when Littlefoot's mom dies? Well, there's a lot going on. There's a little bit of volcanic action happening. I'm pretty sure Sharptooth is in the scene as well. So there's a little bit of like the predator prey thing going on. And essentially, Littlefoot's mom, really, she sacrifices herself. And here's the real gut-wrenching piece. He kind of is looking around for her, finds her, goads her to sort of get up, mm, you know. Mm-hmm. I do. That's I do a hard scene. have that image in my head. Sure. That's a hard scene. I'm going to go with Quite Concerned, which is number four. I'm going to go, it's going to leave a lasting impression, but there's going to have to be a discussion afterwards. And the discussion is about sacrifice. Because I, I really hope that I know this last one. Because I could, I could go with a couple. Let me, let me, let me just. Why don't we do a rapid fire? Bambi's mom. That death can be traumatic, mm-hmm. especially because you don't see it; you only hear it. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say that's a four. Okay. You. Same. How about Up? How about the opening scene of Up? Yeah. Yeah, that's a tough one because it will conjure up images of your own grandparents, right? Mm-hmm. And the love that they have and the loss, not only when you lose a grandparent, but when one grandparent loses their partner. Mm-hmm. I think that that probably is like a one. Oh, there's just so many images that just get like, you know, just it's just hook into your brain, you know? I like the game. Look, I'm not going to lie. It ran long. It ran long. This episode is long, but I like that game. Well, maybe, maybe the topic of death, dealing with it, living with it, a part of our lives, maybe it warrants a long episode. I think that's fair, and I I will go with you on that. Dads and moms listening... Thank you so much for spending some time with us on Modern Dadhood. We appreciate you. We hope that if you haven't listened to all of our episodes, you'll go back and listen to them on Apple Podcasts or Amazon Music or Spotify or at moderndadhood.com where you can find, well, all of them. Uh, you can sub- They're not all as long and they're not no, all most about of death. Them, most of them are around 30 minutes. This mm-hmm. one is longer. A little bit longer. Please go ahead and subscribe wherever you listen. Leave us a rating, a five-star rating. If you don't, if if you don't care one way or another, five <laughs> stars would make a big difference to us. Leave us a short review. Tell a friend about Modern Dadhood. Uh, follow us on social media: Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, all all of them. I don't know if you said this yet, but we have an email address, which is hey at moderndadhood.com. You can actually write directly. Uh, just write a letter to me and Adam and you can say anything you want. You can just tell us how your day was or you can pitch us a topic. But I, I implore you to first go over to the shop, check out the uh, T-shirts and the modern dad hoodies 
Uh, they're very comfortable. All of them are very comfortable, and every one of them ships with a sticker. Buy one for yourself. Buy one for a loved one. Get a gift. Well, I want to take a quick second to thank Casper Baby Pants and Spencer Alby for the music heard in our podcast. I want to thank Pete Morse at Red Vault Audio for taking these files that we record and making them sound great. Pete's awesome at what he does. Um, audio production, post-production, composing, uh, all of it. Learn about his uh, services at redvaultaudio.com. Thanks to Victor M. Sweeney who was just an awesome guest. I learned a lot. I feel like we made a new friend. It was a delight talking to him. Check out the Victor M. Sweeney links in our show notes. And uh, Mark, um, why don't you go ahead with your final uh, bullet here? There's just one thing left to say. And it is... Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.